brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world. Another time. In the age of wonder. There was once a dream. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers. Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm going to have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith and trust. Well, if it isn't the Star Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! <laughs> Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders. Sprinkle some of that pixie dust around. Think that happiest thought, and we're going to fly away to Neverland. Unfortunately, not to San Diego for Comic-Con over there, but we're going to Neverland. And here's the thing. Well, of course, let me introduce myself first. I, of course, am the head lost boy around here, which makes me the pan, and I'm a big Spider-Man fan, so I'm the Spider-Pan, because all us lost boys around here have to have a nickname, and you can choose a nickname for yourself and become an official lost boy or pixie. We don't have lost girls around here, because girls are too clever, and they don't get lost. But I'm not going to do much for covering San Diego Comic-Con, because I bet on your podcast playlist you're going to have oodles of people covering all the information that came across at the San Diego Comic-Con. And I figure I'm going to just do what I would normally do and have a great show for you with some other content. I have a great interview with the voice from the 1980s Charlie Brown and Snoopy show, the voice of Charlie Brown, Mr. Brad Keston. I had a great time talking to him. He was a lot of fun. He's done a lot of other work other than being Charlie Brown, but of course, we love the fact that he was Charlie Brown. Also, I would normally have a movie review that I would have done for The Lion King, but uh, I've had some budget constraints. So, I've asked author Chris Lewis, who wrote that top 10 Disney book. Uh, You might remember that he was on the show number 270 back on February the 3rd talking about his book. So if you haven't heard that episode, go back and check it out. But he's got a review of The Lion King for you. So I appreciate Chris coming on and doing that. And I'd like to have a lot more guests and do a lot of fun things like that. Uh, I've been mixing up the formula a little bit by hopefully by episode 300. We're going to have some slightly different format and we'll try some new things out. Also, I've got to let you know that I, I've done a guest spot on a podcast called That Story Show, which you can find at nlcast.com 
or if you just search on iTunes for That Story Show, I believe you'll find it. It is a clean comedy podcast where people share funny stories, and I was on there, got to share some funny stories. And it was a whole lot of fun. It's a great show. I really suggest you check it out. I think you'll really like it. They have a whole network of shows that they do, including one that uh, the main guy there, James Kennison, does with his daughter called The Red School Bus, which is an even cleaner comedy podcast uh, because he considers that story show to be ages 10 and up because, you know, we can say poop on the show. <laughs> so, but it's a lot of fun. I had a great time on the show and definitely go check it out and have some fun and have a few laughs because we could all use a good laugh now and then. Uh, but I don't want to spend too much time just babbling on here. Let's go ahead and hear that review of The Lion King from Chris Lucas, and then I'll dive straight into, uh, stride in. Yes, I'm going to stride right into our conversation with Mr. Brad Keston. So enjoy! There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Yeah, we're going to be a movie starring You people seeing this for the first time. Kermit, I got a great picture of the chicken. Oh, good. Hey, everyone. It's Chris Lucas, the author of Top Disney, uh, here with a review of the new Lion King movie, 2019, the remake of the 1994 film. And uh, I want to start, actually, with a quote from the movie that uh, is from The Lion King. And it's Mufasa saying, While others seek to take, a true king searches for what he can give. So that's the spirit I'm going to do this review because there are a lot of Disney fans out there who are trying to take away from this movie and trying to pick at it because it can never be the 1994 Lion King. That was a special movie at a special time and uh, it was Disney's first original film. It's sort of based on Hamlet, but uh, first time they ever did. Not a fairy tale story for animated, so nothing will ever top that. And this one is a remake of it. And so they have to be true to the spirit, but it's something totally different. So you have to look at it in that way. And uh, even Walt Disney in 1937, when he released Snow White, uh, he was worried because there were so many versions of Snow White already out there in theatrical form and literary form. There were a couple of movies that had already been done. So uh, he decided he was going to do something new with animation and create an animated version. And there were a lot of people. They called it Disney's Folly. They said it would never work. Uh, people thought that nobody could sit and watch a cartoon for two hours. And he was even worried on, on the premiere opening night. And luckily, people liked it. But there were some that did say, you know, it's not like the other Snow White or he took liberties with the story. So this is the same thing. This Lion King. Uh, it's been a lot of debate as whether it's live action. It looks live action, but it's all computer generated. So it is animation. It's a new form of animation for Disney. It's it's their first time they've ever remade one of their animated movies as an animated movie. And so you, you have to look at it that way. It's It looks realistic. So the acting... You can't be over the top with it. In a cartoon, you can. Scar can be very villainous. and can be very over the top. And Rafiki can be cute in it. But when it's real animals that it looks like on screen, it's a little harder. You have to tone it down a bit. And I think that's what's affecting a lot of this movie, that people are going into it and saying, boy, it just doesn't feel the same because... The acting's a little different. It's a little more tempered. It's good acting. All the voice actors do a terrific job, but it's not the one that you would do in a cartoon where you can be bigger than life. You just can't do that when it's live. No, this is not live action. When it looks live action. So um, other than that, I mean, I think it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's kind of like going to a concert where when you see a concert of your favorite artist, everybody wants to hear the, the hit songs. 
and the favorite artist wants to play some new stuff and then people walk out of the concert they go use the restroom when the new stuff is being played because they want to play the hits so the lion king this one had no choice john favreau had to play the hits he had to put moments in there that are echoes of the first one because if he didn't people would be upset oh where's that song was this and it happened would be prepared originally uh, they were not going to have scar do be prepared because tweetail ijafor i think is how you say his name uh he is not a trained singer and Jeremy Irons had the pipes to do it. So they did add it in. It's a little different and it works, but it's it's for people who are looking for an exact replica of the 1994 movie. It's not the same. It, it hits all the same notes and it does great. And they follow the storyline and there are some nice little surprises in there. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but uh, they do some things. But with the realism that they brought to it, it, it adds a different dimension. Uh, the hyenas are a lot scarier in this movie than they were in the first one. Uh, Scar also is a little bit scarier than he was. He's not as flamboyant and again over the top as he was in the first one. So it brings a little bit of a dimension and his character like Jafar in the live action Aladdin uh, is more of a, a jealous guy. He's not so much an evil. He, he's, he wants to be the king, which uh, it kind of works for this one. So there's a lot of it in there. The father-son dynamic is still there, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and uh, very moving. Um, and certainly the, the best part of the movie were the sideline characters, the comic characters, uh, Rafiki and and... You know, you had Timon and Pumbaa were in there, and Zazu, and different actors, but they brought their own touches to it, and even the songs, they brought their own touches to the song. So, um, you know, The Lion Sleeps Tonight, and I Just Can't Wait to Be King, all those songs are in there, and they're different visually, but the spirit is there. I found myself smiling the entire time throughout this movie, just because it was like visiting an old friend who's grown up a little bit. That's the best way to describe it. So uh, if you're looking for an exact replica of the 1994 Lion King, my advice is to go watch the cartoon, because this one, it's a new version. It's a different version. It's a remake. The old one is still there to go watch, but this one is, you know, John Favreau did a great job. It was a tough task, but in my opinion, it gets a thumbs up from me. Uh, because I think that for a startling leap forward in realistic animation, this is Disney's finest work so far. And I, I look forward to see what's coming in the future from them in this type of uh, realistic animation. So again, this has been Chris Lucas, the author of Top Disney, with my review for 2019's The Lion King. To Disney and beyond. Okay, Neverlanders, we got something special. This was a surprise to me. I was just going and checking my Facebook page one day, and uh, Jason Schlierman of DAF Radio suddenly sent me this thing. He's like, hey, you got to go like this page. This is Brad Keston. And I was like, well, who's he? And I looked, and oh, my gosh, it's Charlie Brown. <laughs> and a whole lot of other things. So I thought this was really cool. Let me get familiar with this guy, and everybody else can get familiar with him, and all the really kind of fun things you've done, which uh, I, I dug in there a little bit. But everybody, say hello to Brad Keston. Hello. Well, hello, everybody. <laughs> uh, but uh, I dug in there, and uh, golly, um, I recall when I was young, I think the first time I ever moved, I was like uh, probably right out of first grade. I think it's the first time I, I moved, and it was totally de devastating, and all we did is go you know, halfway across town. But I saw <laughs> that when you're eight years old, you moved from New York to California all the way across the country. What in the world was, was that like for an eight-year-old? It was honestly, I didn't even think much about it. I was actually like, I, I remember my parents showing me a picture of 
a McDonald's. This is ridiculous, I know, but you're eight. Uh, a McDonald's with pachenko machines. I just I have this memory of a McDonald's with pachenko machines. And you got to remember, it's 19. It was like 1978, 1979. So there were no video games. So I just saw games, and they said like, "Oh yeah, there's 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 games at McDonald's." And I went, "All right, let's move." <laughs> and, and we and we wound up moving across the country, and it's just one of those like ridiculous memories of being bribed with a picture of a McDonald's with pachenko machines, the little you know the machines like the upright with a little silver balls just kind of bounce down. It's a Japanese kind of pinball type game. I, I have no idea so. what it was, what the advertisement was, but I was like, "All right, let's go to McDonald's." And we wound up. Then they have like a baseball one where the the ball, like silver ball, would come down, and you'd you'd, you'd, uh, pull the thing and make the the hit the ball, and you'd try to get into certain spots. Well, I talk about the the pachinko machines, or yeah, didn't they have something like that? Because it it sounds like I don't know if I've seen one, but it's basically an upright pinball machine of sorts. So you pull the little thing, it shoots the ball up, just like a pinball machine, and then just kind of bounces around, and you get it into certain, I guess, holes. They give you points and who I have no idea. I just have this ridiculous memory of it. <laughs> and, and it was, you know, we were just relocating cause it was too cold for the family. And, and we had family, uh, everybody kind of relocates from New York to either they go to Florida or they go to California. We yeah, just happened to come to the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants <laughs> not from, not from New York. No, definitely <laughs> not from New York and New Jersey. So we wound up in, in Los Angeles and, uh, <laughs> that's kind of where it all started. Yeah. It all it, had you wanted to go into acting when you were eight or I that happen? didn't know what we like, what was going on. We, we wound up going, my mom and I went to the universal commissary, which was, uh, it's the kind of the restaurant that everybody goes to on the universal lot. All the actors, when they take their breaks from, uh, from whatever TV show or whatever movie they're shooting, they go to the commissary. And it's, you know, the, the big restaurant with kind of uh, stars pictures and, and sketches on the wall. And it's super famous. And everybody, all the stars went there. And we wound up going to lunch there. And somebody made a comment about, like, is, is your son an actor here? And the answer was no. But I think it kind of, you know, made – my mom kind of think, you know, what should kind of what should we do and how do we go about it? And she wound up contacting Shirley Jones from wow. Partridge Family. She, yeah, I, I, it was just a weird thing. She wound up getting in contact with Shirley Jones. And Shirley Jones was nice enough to give my mom a list of agents that she knew. And we wound up getting accepted by it was like five or six different agents. And we just kind of picked one, you know, kind of the, the, <laughs> the, the, the best children's department. <laughs> and it kind of began from there and just print work and commercials and getting me, getting me in commercial classes, drama classes, voiceover classes. And, and you kind of do what you would imagine, you know, kids do back then, you know, you, you know, Classes, 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 classes. It's just constant <laughs> every day. If you, after school, you're going on interviews. And if you're not going on interviews for jobs, you're going on classes to prepare yourself for the next interview. And even landing in a Burger King commercial that I don't even remember seeing. 
I, I found that on, I have everything, well, almost everything, everything that I've ever done on VHS cassette that I need to transfer. The Burger King actually just found that on YouTube. That one in a Sambo's <laughs> commercial, and I need to like just because the VHS tapes are going to start degrading soon. I, I have yeah. about I have about eighty five commercials to transfer. My goodness, going all the way back from probably seventy nine to about nineteen ninety. I just wow. have just there's so much stuff just and it's all just sitting in boxes, just <laughs> crazy you know hilarious crazy stuff of yeah. random toys you know the toys of of yesteryear, like just oh, matchbox cars and something called fast ones and just random toys that aren't around anymore. But it's still fun. To, it's still fun to yeah. see as a kid. Yeah. What got me with this Burger King commercials, I didn't realize the King character that they've used slightly more recently was actually something they had used back in the late seventies like that. Oh, it was and the he was still creepy ever. It was so <laughs> creepy because they were all live action. You had the, the Duke of Doubt. No, it was the yeah. Duke of Doubt that was just a nightmare. Like not not the guy, not the actor, but like the if mask. you've seen if you just if you if you YouTube just Duke of Doubt Burger King, he's just the creepiest <laughs> nightmarish like oh, it's so cool though. It was just it was so ridiculous because you had this like ginger Burger King guy with beard mm-hmm. and and he's just hates his life like Ronald McDonald from the, the 70s and 80s, <laughs> just having to be Burger King. I mean, he was getting paid a fortune. Yeah. I mean, they were all national commercials. And if anybody knows anything about being in national commercials, they pay really well. (laughs) So it's, there's two different kinds. There's the, uh, like what they called wild spot, which are like regional commercials and they pay okay. But nationals, you can work, you can be seen for like two seconds and, you know, Coca-Cola is paying you $10,000 and you're just like, woo, exactly. So Burger King, he was getting paid. For those days, I guess the big bucks. He wasn't flow from you know the insurance commercials, but he was he was pretty happy. But it was just a creepy. <laughs> they were just yeah. creepy people. Uh, it looks like they were trying to compete with the McDonald's ads. With they had McDonald Land, and you had your you know Hamburglar and all that stuff. Which I I still miss all those commercials. I got to say, <laughs> I was a fr- like I was a fry guy. I was I was a fan of the fry guys. Oh yeah, the fry guys were those were the cool ones and the Hamburglar. Okay. I never quite figured out the fry guys. They didn't look like fries because they looked like big pom poms to me. So how are these fry guys? <laughs> I don't know. I just there was just something about the fry guys. It was you know when you're a little kid, it was kind of grimace and yeah. But yeah, those days are just oh, it's sad. They're just gone. You know, McDonald's just looks like you know a, a minimum security penitentiary. <laughs> it's just it's all corporate gray and just there's yeah. no fun there anymore. They they used to have these nice unique shapes and now they're all blocks. Every fast food place is block. Yeah. Everything's the same. No fun. Yeah. No fun. That was the one thing I miss. I mean, it was there was a time, uh, you know, I, I guess you know seventies and eighties where you'd wake up at six o'clock in the morning. You'd hit the you know you you get to the Saturday morning cartoons with your cereal and you would just mm-hmm. sit there and not move for four to five hours and just watch <laughs> cartoons and everything was kind of there was an innocence to the whole era that I think is just lost. It's just so gone now. And everyone's just stuck with their faces and their iPhones and their iPads. And it's just sad. The worst thing that can happen to you on a Saturday morning is being the youngest and you never have control of what you're going to (laughs) watch. That is very true. Fortunately, my, my brother and my sister are 10 and eight years older than me. So they wanted (laughs) nothing to do with it. It was all me. And plus at the time, at the time, 
it, it was kind of a unique situation in that I'm watching cartoons and I have one. Yeah. So it's, you know, <laughs> you're watching your own cartoon and you're watching, I, I would say about 50 to 60% of the commercials that I did appeared on Saturday morning. <laughs> so everything was, you know, the, the Saturday morning, I think it was called the cartoon cavalcade or something on CBS. Yeah. And it was just either I was seeing myself or I was seeing my friends. <laughs> so you, you had your, you had your friends like in right, school yeah. and then you had friends that you saw at every single casting call yeah. that you went to four days a week. So you know, all of us kind of looked, had the same general look. <laughs> so there was like maybe 15 kids that you saw. Like it was like me, Corey Feldman, Corey Haim, Jason Hervey, uh, Keith Coogan, and, you know, just like that. We all looked the same and we all competed <laughs> for the same basic roles. And it was, you know, kind of just hilarious. You just, those, those are kind of like your, your friends, but not your friends. You're kind of, <laughs> you're, you're, I mean, they're your friends. They're your competition. But right. you see them. These are the kids that you kind of like, if you weren't going over your lines for the actual audition, you were kind of playing with. <laughs> yeah. In a way, like you, you, you all brought your toy, your matchbox car or whatever, and you were just kind of, these were your social buddies. Yeah. And you wound up year after year seeing the same people. It's kind of, cool and creepy at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the process like then uh, when they started casting for the Charlie? Because I guess the first thing you did was the Charlie Brown and Snoopy show, which was Saturday morning cartoon version. How did that process take place? Because I mean, well, casting Charlie Brown had to have been a huge ordeal. It was. Uh, there were several interviews. I started interviewing when I was about 10, maybe 11. Um. And you go in and you meet like the normal casting people. It was it was basically, you know, you had your agent and he would send you he or she would send you out on your interviews. And it was just another interview. It was probably one of like four that I had that day. And if you had a good a good mom, a good stage mom, you know, she's running you around to Hollywood to 20th Century Fox and all the way across town again to, to NBC. And you're just this is your reality. And you went to an interview, met casting people. And if you had that, a specific sound in your voice and, and intonation and they, everyone has an idea of what Charlie Brown sounds like. So you don't want someone with a big soprano voice, you know, high pitched right. voices. <laughs> so you basically, you're chosen from, oh God, how many people I, I could just imagine that they probably interviewed a thousand people. Nowadays, it would probably be more. But yeah. at the time, I, I would say probably they everybody in town probably interviewed for this role. And then it just the, the list gets shorter and shorter. And you wind up meeting Lee Mendelson, who's he's the producer. He's been the producer since the very beginning. It's his production company. Yeah. And Bill Melendez, who is the director and, you know, the, one of the animators for the all of the, the te the television specials. And, wow. uh, you know, the, the list just gets shorter and shorter and you wind up getting told that you have the part and show up at the recording studio on this day for your, you hope more than one. 
So you you started. I think the first one we did was a special called "Is This Goodbye, Charlie Brown?" <laughs> and, I hope it isn't. <laughs> no, it's you go in there thinking literally it's one job. You're just mm-hmm. you know it's it's one great gig. Oh my God, I'm the voice of Charlie Brown. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think my mom wound up getting a license plate frame for the car saying, like, happiness is being Charlie Brown. <laughs> so I'm like, that's, you know, that was on the, the family car for like four years, five years. Wow. <laughs> she was pretty happy about that one. Of, yeah. all, of all the jobs, that was a really good one. Yeah. And uh, was it yeah, kind we, of nerve wracking, though, considering that the, he's, he's such an iconic character? I and didn't he's already, you know, think about it, honestly. Wow. It, it just it didn't it was just at that time i mean it was cool it was really really cool yeah but it was just a it was just at that time like it's just one job it was just kind of like another really cool job to have i didn't really understand who the people that were meeting i was meeting and the people around me uh didn't really think about it because you're just a little kid yeah so <laughs> i think my mom kind of got a bigger kick about who we were meeting yeah. and the one job turned into another one and you're like oh cool do another one it was um what have we learned charlie brown came next and all of a sudden there's another one so we started doing the charlie brown and snoopy show and it was a brand new uh you know uh, a brand new series based off of charles schultz's work his saturday morning strips which is the first time that that's happened all of the other ones were written by someone else uh you know inked by someone else at what they weren't inked by charles schultz they were done by uh bill melendez and his production company and it was so we were all independent individual cartoons not based off of the saturday i mean based off of the sunday morning cartoon strips so it was kind of a really special uh just production and then i got to meet charles schultz and wow. he came in. That was different <laughs> to yeah. me. To me, the, you know, because I, as a kid, you're not really thinking, "Oh, hey, Bill, Lee Mendelson and Bill Melendez." You know, you don't right. really know who they are. They're just directors and producers. Right. And as a kid, you really don't care that much as a little kid. But seeing Charles Schultz, totally different animal. You know, just <laughs> completely different thing. So it was, I remember like the first time meeting him, and it was kind of like you're a little, you know, eleven, twelve year old kid. And it's kind of like meeting your like a grandpa, not not because he was old, but just because he was. I remember him being like really gentle and soft spoken and kind, and he was just a really nice guy. And I was just like, oh wow, you know, this is just really cool and a little bit more nerve wracking now, because <laughs> yeah. now he's in the recording studio with us and he's kind of not supervising the project, but he's kind of overseeing it in a way. I just remember him being there and seeing him there every day. And it was just a real, that was a really great gig to have. Yeah. And, and seeing it on Saturday mornings and you're the only kid in school with the Saturday morning cartoon series. <laughs> it was kind of like, all right, that was, that was a big thing. It's like, if, okay, if I, if I didn't get myself the part on like the wonder years or I didn't get myself a television series, that's another, that's a whole other story. Um, right. <laughs> you know, if how many pilots did I do? Oh my God. Um, but if, if you can't get yourself a, a TV series that's on every week, a Saturday morning cartoon series is 
really good second place on that one. Yeah, I was really well, hey, loving it. I'll yeah, take it any you're, day. When your kid, that is television. That's Saturday what I'm saying. That's, that's, that's the only television that matters. <laughs> and it's Charlie Brown. <laughs> right. Of all, of like the character of all the characters to get, it's what's the name of the show? So I was kind of just, right. uh, I was loving it. That was just a really good point in my career at that, you know, as, as a kid. Yeah. Because I had that, I was just working left and right. So it was just a lot of fun. So I've heard with, uh, I think, Bill Melendez with uh, directing that he always, the, the reason why all the Peanuts characters have that style of delivery from the kids is that he would say the lines in exactly the way he would want you to say it because he didn't know kids had any acting ability, apparently. Well, actually, Lee Mendelson, I remember, he was the one doing that. He did oh, that Lee for Mendelson. a while. Yeah, Lee was in the studio with us. And I remember him for the first probably two specials. He was doing that. And it's like, I remember thinking to myself, this is really annoying <laughs> because I, you know, these are, we were kids that were not like plucked from like some random school in the, you know, in Wisconsin. Yeah. I mean, we're professional. I mean, we're professionals and we know how to act and we just tell us what to do. And we're, you know, we're, we're like the animals in the zoo. We're, we're ready to perform. And for the first couple of specials, he did that. And then he, I remember him kind of just backing off about it because we knew the characters. We kind of, we had done several specials and, and, but yeah, he would say a line and he'd be like, you know, good grief. And we'd be like, good grief. And that's kind of the first <laughs> special or two. It was, he would say exactly how he wanted it. I was like, okay, we'll play along. It'll work. <laughs> I'm okay. But, Yet that style, it just became so iconic that even when they did that Peanuts movie, they still kind of had that style of acting going on with the kids. And I loved it. It just it just sets it apart from everything else. Oh, believe me. If you think that they weren't doing that exact same thing for that movie, <laughs> believe me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think – what's his name? Noah. Noah. I can't pronounce his last name. Schnapp. He's the one on uh, – On Stranger Things. On Stranger Things. Yeah, plays Will. Sha- so, yeah, is it you Shap? got to be Brown. Is it Shap? I have no idea. I think okay. If he if, if he ever hears this, I apologize for for destroying your last name. Um, but you know, I, I he knew he knew exactly how it was supposed to sound. It's there's a, a specific way. Everybody, myself and Lucy and Schroeder and everybody's got. There's got to be a continuity mm-hmm. to every single special through the decades. There ha- it has to be as close as possible, and and everyone. I guess would say ha- has their favorite Charlie Brown. I have my personal favorites and, and the ones over the years where I was like, eh, not so much. <laughs> I, you know, I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> I have, I have creative license to, to have my own opinion on that. Sure. Some of them, I think just sound, you know, they either sound like me or they don't. <laughs> and that's, kind of, that's how I judge it. It's like, do you sound like me? I do the same thing with Lucy's and they have to sound like, I like to say my cast, which was, you know, Angela Lee Sloan and Stacey Tolkien, who played Sally. And there are certain people where in my eyes, in my ears, this is what the character sounds like. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I would have really liked to have done that movie. That would have been sweet. Yeah. Just a little cameo or something. Something. Believe me, I tried. <laughs> I, I contacted those guys. I contacted the Schultz, uh, the, the, the whole family. And I remember talking to the son, not talking to, but emailing back and forth with the son. And I'm like, I don't really care what I have to do. I want to be involved. And he's like, well, what do you do? And 
I'm like, is there any room for voice? I'm not an animator and I'm not a tech person. Um, I wanted to do something with the voice and it was just, nope, no, same thing, no adults. Mm. So I was like, all right, no problem. I love the movie. I thought it was great. Yeah, it was. I was. I, I had I high really expectations did. for that, and it met every one of them. I just love that movie. I had very low expectations. <laughs> I, I, no, I mean, and I think that's why I liked it as much as I did. I didn't really think because they were going so out there with the the new animation and new techniques for yeah. for visuals. I didn't really think that it was going to be as I guess you can say as true to Charles Schultz's original vision for what he wanted for the characters. I almost kind of felt I was watching a traditional special just with really like Pixar type effects. Right. Yeah, they really I'm, captured the animation style of the old yeah. classics. It was amazing. It was. It had a great feel. The only thing that was mm-hmm. missing was – you know, three like real time 3D, and right. that was the only thing that I mean. I don't think it needed it, but yeah, it was the, the animation was so fantastic, and the story was done well, and the voices sounded as close to what the traditional voices are supposed to sound like. And I don't know what they did with the story because I, I know that when Charles Schultz died and Bill Melendez, they weren't allowed to write new material. Mm. They weren't allowed to just, you know, continue on. They had to do something with previous stories and storylines. So I, I assume that's what they did with it. Instead of coming up with something completely brand new, which I don't think they could, but it was being done by the family. So right. it's kind of a, a gray line there where would the son and grandson be able to do that? So, you know, that's, the son and grandson. I mean, that's how much more official can you <laughs> right. get? I mean, it's it's a Schultz family project. Yeah, it's almost so, like the Tolkien estate. You know, yeah, everything had the stamp. <laughs> yes. Exactly, it had the stamp of approval. And myself and and uh, a couple of the castmates, we went to the the movies together and watched it. And you know, it was just kind of just a fun experience. Not going to yeah. be that many of those to to do together to go see a new Peanuts experience. Yeah, because most of the old movies, which I think they did release some in theaters back uh, like early 80s, but I managed to see them on cable, you know, like uh, uh, Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown, one of my favorites. I think it was in 77. Yeah, the year I was born. So There you go. <laughs> but was... I remember even a, a there was a book the library had that uh, had actual images from the uh, – from that cartoon, and I read that book over and over. I, I loved that one. Also, I cannot remember the name of the one where uh, Charlie Brown actually gets to win for a little while and goes to the spelling bee, and then finally at the end, the whole blows that can't even spell Beagle. I think that's a... Was that a boy named Charlie Brown? Yeah, yeah. I think that's Charlie a boy Brown. named Charlie Brown. I think that was done in, like, 69. Oh, but still, I remember that being on cable, and I'd watch that one yeah. all the time. And I, that opening song... Uh, boy, it'll make you cry because it just My, it really brings into the character. I yeah, I watched. I think the most was the race for your life because it was just always yeah. on cable. Yeah, in the in the eighties, it was just on like every two or three hours since there, <laughs> there wasn't really that much you know programming back in the day. Right, so it was just race for your life was always on. So I think I had memorized that one. That or so Snoopy that's, Come Home. <laughs> yeah, the, the just kind of the older classics that 
that that were in the the theater that they yeah. you didn't have to wait a whole year to to experience. So it was, since I never got to see those in the theater, having that that movie come out, <laughs> it was big. It was a yeah, big deal. Huge. I mean, it's I don't know if they're going to do another one. Um, it's mater- it's the material that's got to be good because a lot yeah. of the the specials from the '90s just didn't do it for me. I mean, it's not yeah. that the animation wasn't there. It was just it was the material they were just trying to to spit them out. And I think it was after after me. There was a in the the late eighties and and into the nineties of how can I put it? I, I guess they wanted like established actors and they wanted it to be a bigger deal. If you look at like who some of the actors were, they had you know some pretty established people doing the, the voices, and I think in that race to kind of be something bigger, they didn't really pay close attention to what they were writing. Mm. And if you look there, I think online, there's a couple like a list of, you know, best to worst like a hundred, you know, a hundred best to worst of, of the, the specials and the majority of the ones that were on the, the top of the, at the bottom of the list, I guess were through some of the nineties the up until about 2000. And so the best ones were obviously from the 60s, 70s and yeah. 80s up to about, Probably eighty six. Yeah, I think after you get, I want a dog for Christmas, Charlie Brown. Which is exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. You know, it's it's. <sighs> everybody has their favorite. That's yeah. wasn't one of mine. Um, and, yeah. and you know, for even for myself, for a long time, I didn't like its Flash Beagle, Charlie Brown. And you know, I think there was even like when the when YouTube first came out. And I wound up running into Jessica Lee Smith, who voiced Lucy for for that one. And we reconnected. I hadn't seen her since I was like 14. I'm like, hey, and we're talking openly about the, the this musical. And I and I said something real like I really shouldn't have said what my real opinion was on the Internet. I didn't get what the end. You know what I mean? Like the Internet's forever. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i said and 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 i don't know like it wasn't anything swearing but it was it was like i gave my real opinion of it but it wasn't it was just kind of off the hook you know not my favorite and since then i've kind of taken a new look at it and it's like the retro look at it at the time i wasn't looking at it like that i was looking at it as of compare that to a charlie brown christmas or the halloween mm-hmm. and it wasn't that great but if you look back at it now and look at it for what it is and what it was, it's a really decent cartoon. I mean, the music was fantastic. You had Joey Scarberry, for God's sakes. I mean, you had, you know, the guy that was sing- that sung the, the theme song for The Greatest American Hero. Wow. You had like you had him and Desiree Goyette who singing the Flash Beagle theme and they did. Uh, Snoopy's dance was literally like step for step from Jennifer Beals from the flash dance movie. And they were doing a mall tour and oh setting goodness. up stages at malls and, and singing the songs. It was just crazy, like a really crazy cool time. But whenever did that happen? That's just so cool. And I just didn't really get it. I think until maybe like 2008, 2009, how really cool that I think it was maybe because it, it all comes back around. Yeah. You know, like I don't just, recall I've ever seen that one. 
it's I'm gonna look it's, it up. <laughs> it's not the music isn't as good as you're a good man, Charlie Brown, obviously. Yeah, but well, it's hard to match that. If one. you yeah, <laughs> it is. But if you look at it from an from an eighties perspective, literally from the the nineteen eighties perspective, it's fun. And I know a lot of kids like that like babies. Their parents are playing it for them and the kids are just dancing and the kids like, you know, small children like it because the tunes are catchy and it, it's not the greatest storyline in the world, but the songs are good and it the animation was fantastic. So you kind of if you look at it from a different perspective, it's a really fun, classic. I guess you could say musical. Yeah, he couldn't. You know, if, if somebody would do a live version of it, I would be the first one to go see it. But <laughs> you know, I've seen "You're a Good Man," Charlie Brown, a few times over the years, which I I would go tomorrow if, if you know if it was a decent production of it, I would go again. But Flash Beagle's kind of fun. Yeah, you know, I've never seen the "You're a Good Man," Charlie Brown on stage. I know I've watched the the movie which you got to be in. Yes. Which yes. I know I've seen that one at least once, but I've never seen it on stage. I always thought that'd be fun to see how they would stage that. It's a fantastic pr- if it's done right. Like I've seen high school productions of it, and it's and it's fun. It's it's not a musical that someone needs to have a huge range. It's not Les Mis or you know Phantom <laughs> of the Opera. It's, it's, you know it's a ba- it's a it's a not basic. That's the wrong word to use. It's it's a children's. It's Charlie Brown. You know what I mean? It's Peanuts. Yeah. And you have to have a good voice, but it, like I said, it's you know you're not Jean Valjean and right. running around on stage. So if you have a chance to see at least a college, or you know even better, a, a professional production of it, it's fantastic. It's so much fun. I think Kristen Chenoweth did you know played Sally and and you know you over the years you've had really big names play these parts, and they just kind of give it something else. It's a, it's a really, it's, I, I personally think it's one of the best stories of, of all. I mean, I, I really do. It's just, it's a fun, fun production. Yeah. The TV production was really, really good. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. but this, but seeing it on stage, it's really, really fun. Yeah. I highly recommend. And definitely, you know, because the music even from that and going back even with Vince Guaraldi, the music from from like near, nearly every special, whether it was a musical or just background, the music has always just been iconic and the style and to see them perform it on stage would be really great. I, I, everything I know about jazz. <laughs> I got yeah, from, there you go. From the, I mean, really, I, that's the first time I ever heard jazz was mm. from watching Peanuts cartoons. And that's that's one of the things that was missing from the later shows. Yeah. Is they didn't have any of you had the yeah, a couple of songs just a few piano things but there were no like bass riffs and you know there was it wasn't like the beatnik era kind of jazz you, you you could hear it in some of the early stuff that i think even mid 80s and on they abandoned it for like a new wave sound you know nobody really wanted to hear jazz in the 80s and i think that's that was one of the things I think that was lost was that magic because yeah. cartoons didn't have that. You had Flintstones and you had the Hanna-Barbera crew, oh, you know, yes. playing, you know, Woody Woodpecker. And I mean, just great cartoons. Don't get me wrong, but Peanuts is different of all right. of the, of all of the cartoons out there. Peanuts stands on its own as being completely original and there's nothing else like it. 
nobody was doing nobody was playing jazz (laughs) ever i mean who would want to except who could get away with it (laughs) except for you know charles schultz and, and 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 the crew yeah, and he, I even uh, I've checked out books of, of, of collections of peanuts. Uh, we're starting from the very first peanuts and reading through, and I hear Vince Guaraldi music every time when I sit and I read peanuts. If I go over for a long time, the music is just in my head. Right, it's automatic. It's just such an association. And that's how it's supposed to be. Right, that's, you know, that's everyone. You can see, you see the characters. You know exactly what they're supposed to sound like. You know, yeah, yeah, and that's. That's the magic of it, that it hasn't changed. That's the continuity is most people don't realize that the voices change. I mean, if, you, if you're lucky, you get to do more than one. If you're really lucky, you get to be it for a few years. Yeah, before if the voice drops. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's where you got to go. That was it for me. You know, I think 86, they started phasing me out. Uh, that was, yeah, about 86. It was, uh, you basically, you're... You, if you can drive yourself to the studio, you're done. <laughs> that's that's pretty much 86. I mean, I was getting re- getting ready to get my driver's license, uh, and uh, they're like, "Yeah, you know, you you can be relegated to background voices or or other minor characters, and they're yeah. re- they're recasting." They're like, "All right, you know, what are you gonna do?" Yeah. Yeah, well, I, you apparently you did a lot of other voice stuff. Uh, I was looking at you have a bio on IMDb that mentions that you did some uh, various work like Gremlins and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yeah, I was fortunate enough, the right place at the right time, uh, when Amblin, uh, Amblin Studios, which was uh, uh, Steven Spielberg's production company, when they were just up and coming in the early 80s, uh, even before E.T., um, I, I don't even think they were even called Amblin at the time. They were casting for a movie called The Natural, uh, which was Robert Redford film. And uh, let me see which one. What was the other ones? Um, I'm, I'm blanking. There were like five, like immediately. Oh, and one of the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom yeah, movies. Temple and they Doom, con- mm-hmm. and uncom- that was Uncommon Valor. And they just constantly needed either – you know, if there's kids in the movie, I'm everybody. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> that's it's really how there's six kids, Brad. You know, we need a different voice for each kid. Let's go and action. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. So that one, and oh yeah, and Gremlins, and they needed. Oh. Obviously, I wasn't Gizmo. That's that's right. a different aspect. But there were forty different, you know, the evil Gremlins, and they needed different voices and different sounds and. Before you know it, you're you know you're working for three to four weeks in the studio, either dubbing over or creating voices for all of these. <laughs> and you know, it was just kind of that part that was really cool. Yeah, that, you know, I've got stuff like just souvenirs. I remember when Return of the Jedi before it was coming out, and they had all this stuff from it's all Revenge of the Jedi. Oh, wow. And I remember them. I, I'm looking actually right now. I'm looking at a paperweight. It's like one of the only things I have that I don't have in boxes. And it's a, like a belt buckle sized paperweight, brass paperweight that says Revenge of the Jedi. And oh, they're like, man. They're like, and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And they're like, oh, yeah, take some. And I'm like, really? <laughs> it's, you know, it's the third movie. I'm all over it. I just <laughs> like, I'll take some of this. I got a poster of this. And, <laughs> and it, that came off of, uh, 
the the desk. I can't remember his name. It was one of the directors, and you know, gave me that, and I'm like walking away, like I just robbed the place. Of just, <laughs> I, I had posters and booklets and and promotional material, everything that like you would get if you were, uh, you know, the L.A. Times or something. You, I had so, wow. and then they wind up changing the name, which. I, I thought Revenge of the Jedi sounded better, but hey, that's me. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was it was an interesting and fun time to to be working at Amblin. It was just a lot of really you, you didn't know what you were doing until it came out. <laughs> you know, what's this Gremlins thing? You know, and and Indiana Jones I knew about. Yeah. And, uh, and that's one of the things with like Temple of Doom, I had never thought of. You know, all the all the kids that probably had their voices dubbed. Until I, one of the first guests I ever had on the show was Katie Lee, and I had all these years I hadn't realized it was her as the uh, oh not Sultan, um, Maharaja. And now every time I watch it, I can't help but I recognize her voice. I'm like, yeah, there's Katie Lee. <laughs> oh yeah, there's um, if let me see, let's the the Indian kids that were in the caves, the prisoner kids. Mm-hmm. That's me. And there's, you know, going through it. And I remember my wife is watching and she's like, no, that's not. And I'm like, I did the voices. And she's like, oh my God, that's just too cool. And it was, you would figure nowadays they would just have some Indian kids, go, you know, some actors from of Indian descent go into the studio and do it. But at the time, you know, we're, we're all actors and I can do dialects and make it sound like, and they, they're like, okay, we need some voices for three different Indian kids. And I'm like, okay, and just redubbed it. Most everything, you'd be shocked how many people <laughs> yeah. are not. These are not the actors that that you're watching on screen. It's you know <laughs> yeah. that's that's the magic of voice work. You'd oh, be surprised. Yeah. I'd say seventy percent probably of the actors are either dubbed over or you know so most of the time even the actors have to go back in and mm-hmm. kind of redub their own stuff. Oh yeah, I just I was just finished my degree finally when we did uh, part of one of my classes was audio for cinema and we went over a lot of that of you know how to record and having to be able to recreate the area where they're in. But there's a lot of movies you can watch that you can hear the difference because you can hear oh yeah that's live sound because you can kind of hear a little bit of the background noise and then you'd have other takes that's the same scene but you that it sounds so much cleaner that you're like yeah that was done in studio. <laughs> oh yeah, you had um, see, one of the bigger ones was. The Neverending Story. Oh, wow. and they they uh, Wolfgang uh, Peterson hired me to go. He flew me out to Germany, and we worked for a month and a half. And I was dubbing over uh, the car character Atreyu, Noah Hathaway's voice, because I guess his wow. voice was too high at the time. And I got so incredibly sick, like food poisoning. I had to go to the hospital. I was oh, sick geez. as a dog for like ten days, and like I lost a bunch. I lost like I think maybe 18, 19 pounds in a week. I was so Mm. sick. And they wound up asking me, do you want to go home? And I'm like 12, 13 years old. I'm like, I'm out of here. Like, I really want to just go home. I don't really care anymore. Uh. And yeah, they wound up sending me home and somebody else dubbed over it. Oh, and yeah, I know. It's like one of those things where I really wanted that. I, I wanted to continue on. I was so like just weak. From I don't know what it was that I got some kind of trippy German food poisoning. Oh man! And it was brutal. But yeah, that was a really. <laughs> that's it's like one of the regret. The one of the great regrets was not <laughs> just like now. I would just be like, all right, let's just fight through it. 
and yeah. get to the studio and try not to throw up on the microphone. Yeah. Somebody give me a got, bottle of Pepto. <laughs> just no, it was beyond. It was so beyond that. Just oh. some really scary German nurses just putting things where they don't belong. Oh, it's like no for our line, no, <laughs> no more, no mas for for for. It was yeah, but you'd be you'd be surprised. Like how At many least people? You got Temple of Doom. I so got Temple go. of Doom. It was that was worth it. That was worth so, it. Are you one of the particular kids that gets to actually have a line, or were you just you getting to be crowd kids as they're running out of there and stuff? Which one with with Temple of with Doom? Temple of Doom. Yeah, I didn't get credit. I, I everything was uncredited. Um, mm. The I guess the parts were that you would notice were there was a, the scene where the three Indi- where Indiana jo- Indy goes inside to he's gonna I guess attack. And he runs into three Indian children that were that are talking to him about like, you know, he's going to put his hand through your chest and grab your heart. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to him. And that's, yeah, all three of those kids. And oh. then and then at the end where everyone's coming out, if anyone's talking, that's me. Cool. So, yeah, it was it was a bunch of days where you had no idea what you were doing until you wind up seeing the the end result and you're like oh that does sound like me but maybe it doesn't because <laughs> they they do their tweak you know they do they do what they do right but it's if you're not uh you know if you're not doing on-camera stuff you're you're in the recording studio hopefully somebody you know somebody hires you right <laughs> you just you just want to work that's the whole point i mean you're going on three to four interviews a day yeah. And you're hoping that you can at least land 35%. <laughs> that's your that's your goal at the end of the yeah. you know at the end of the week, how many how many interviews, how many jobs. Yeah, and if you can land a series, you're golden for a while. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, there were so many I, I guess pilots and if anybody doesn't know what a pilot is, pilots are being shot all year long. There's probably 150 pilots their shows. The first show before this the the network buys the show it's a it's kind of like a sample and uh, you know over the years i think i've maybe done five different pilots for different shows that either aren't picked up or you do you know you do one and nope sorry you know network's not, <laughs> not interested right. and you're just like okay back to the drawing board or yeah you, you know even you know better you hope that you get a reoccurring role yeah. On on an established series. And hopefully that series stays on long enough for you to come back more than, you know, once, twice, three times. I was yeah. kind of Oh, go ahead. Looks like you did that a lot though, popping up once, you know, like I saw family ties, different strokes on your list where you just get to pop on an episode and then And you're hoping you they bring you back. Right. Taxi and, and our house, I did a couple of episodes there and Trapper John M D and mm-hmm. that's just what you hope for is that you make a good enough impression on the director to have him bring you back as that same character and not a different right. you know, you don't want to come back as a well, I mean, you'll come back whatever they want, but come back as a, as a different character. Yeah. And, uh, there was something in, God, what was it? 87, maybe 88. Anyway, one of the two, um, silver spoons where it was, I didn't really care what I was doing on it. There are certain shows where you're like, I don't care what I'm doing on the show. Just, I, I just want to be on these shows that you watch. Yeah. 
and you know you either know someone in the cast or you just want to be a part of the show and i remember being cast as the drummer i only had a couple lines but i don't really care the drummer in ricky's band oh cool yeah i know right (laughs) and i was a drummer so it was like they're like can you play the drums i'm like can i play the drums which you're not even really needed to play the drums you just kind of fake it in a way i mean you're playing but they're not really hearing you they're playing you're hearing the soundtrack uh backtrack but just kind of just to be a part of the band in that that was just really a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. That was just really cool. It's like you're on a show that you've been watching for years. You get to play the drums and, and uh, it, you know, it's across the hall from different strokes. It's just every – you're seeing the people that you know. You just kind of want to be – you want to be a player. Yeah. You want to you – know, you're not – you're kind of network. Even though you're a kid, you're still networking. Right. You want to get another part. You want to get to know the directors and the, the people that are making the decisions because they're going to hire you when you get through casting and you get the call back to, to meet the producers. And they're like, hey, Brad, how are you? You know, like here, here's a funny story is I had Danny DeVito spit orange juice on me because <laughs> I was I got like I was in the room interviewing for Taxi. And I'm doing my lines. And I remember he's drinking orange juice and it was like the third, the second call, the second callback. And he just like spray, you know, like when you laugh so hard, you just spray orange juice. And I just remember him just like spraying orange juice on me. And I was just like, it was the funniest, coolest thing ever. But it was just like the kinds of, to leave that. My mom's like, you know, how, you know, how'd you go? And I'm like, well, I've got orange juice on me. So I think I got the part. Could have been worse. His nose could have been gushing blood. It could have been. That would have been horrible. <laughs> I don't think I would have gotten it. But it's just little things like that. So at least the next time that you're on it, hopefully if you're on it again, they remember you. Right. <laughs> that's that's really the goal is to just try and get another part from the same, you know, try and get a second drink from the same well. Right. And <laughs> And work. That's all we want to do is as kids is work. And that's all our parents want us to do is work. Cause they're the ones that are shuttling us around yeah. five days a week. And you know, my mom put a lot of miles on her car and spent a lot <laughs> of time and money and, and put a lot of effort in it to help my career. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. So now you do a lot of convention appearances so people can come and meet you. Yes. I'm actually, I did a lot. Well, let's start with, I did, I, I was, pretty busy over the last 10 years. And then I stopped a couple of years ago to kind of just take a step back, give it a break. And uh, I was having issues getting a, a decent enough booking manager to, to send me out to like Comic-Con and, and some of the different uh, pop culture conventions. So it's a lot harder to get out to some of them than you'd think from, from Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, but finally I, I have a new, a, a new guy and a new company that's, that's I'm working with and we're working on getting some bookings over the next couple of weeks. Well, I'll, I'll know what my schedule is for the next, you know, four to five months, but that's, I absolutely love doing conventions. I mean, it's, I didn't really get the whole convention. I'll call it a circuit because you, you see a lot of the same people throughout the year at different conventions and they meet their fans and whatnot. I didn't really get it until maybe the mid two thousands on how cool, you know, how cool it was to, you wind up meeting new voiceover, you know, people that are into 
voice work and they're just up and coming and you've got animators and, and historians that study the whole peanuts legend legacy and, and the people involved. And there's the stories that I have are actually interesting to other people. Yeah. You know, when I'm saying them in my head, I'm not that interesting in my own head, but if somebody hearing certain stories, it's, it's the most amazing thing. And I, and if I was hearing it, I would think so too. Here, I'll, I'll, here's an example. When we're shooting the Charlie Brown and Snoopy show, uh, I, I guess Charles Schultz, I remember him sketching in a book and like a, a little sketchbook that he had. Didn't know what he was doing, but he was throwing scraps away. Oh my goodness. As a 12, 13 year old, I took it upon myself to dumpster dive next to the <laughs> desk and wound up saving, you know, a few little sketches here and there, you know, and at the time they weren't much, you know, they weren't really anything but little baby sketches that I put in a book to flatten back out again. <laughs> but, you know, the fact that you've got a 12 year old going like, look over there and I'm, you know, just go into the, into the trash can to just grab whatever he just threw away. It's, <laughs> it's really, that's a really cool story. Um, yeah, I, that's whatever he was throwing away. I'd be more than happy to, to take it. And they were like, just me. He's like, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, he sent me, uh, a, you always see them in like art galleries. It's kind of like a four, it's a rectangular poster board looking thing with four different, I don't know what you call it, four different squares of the, you know, the animation and four different squares across. And there was one that he wound up sending me that had a mistake in it. Ooh. And it was, you know, not, it was intent, not intentional, but he knew right. it was a mistake and he kind of like with this blue pen circled it and then made a line and made the correction. And he sent that one to me, which meant more to me than just him sending a, a generic one. And wow, it's now man. at the Schultz Museum. I wonder when he passed away, I sent it. I contacted Jean Schultz's widow and talked to her and, and sent it over to the museum so it could kind of be a part of the new exhibit that they were putting together after he passed away. And, you know, so it's there now. But there's, you know, just tons of really cool stories to share at some of these conventions. And I really enjoy you know, what's the point in having all these cool stories if you have no one to share them with? My kids don't care. <laughs> my kids, they don't care. Maybe they'll care when they're older. I mean, my kids, my kids' friends care more than my kids care. So, <laughs> and, and that's just really creepy for me to be talking to my daughter's friends. So I'm just going to stay away from that. So I don't just have to come to the convention to hear it. And yeah, I just, I, I absolutely love doing them. So I'm hoping that this year is you know a good year where i can go to a few and and reach some of the people that i haven't been able to get to there's you know a whole i've never been really to the midwest i've just done a lot of the west coast stuff and the east coast stuff and i've had requests from God, everywhere from you know from maine to to texas and even a few from overseas in england and and uh, hong kong so we see We'll see what the interest is. Yeah. You know, if there, if there is, I'm there. Awesome. Well, hopefully we get you in Kansas City for Planet Comic Con sometime. That would be really cool. And I think actually that was there was a list of, of places that uh, my manager was submitting me to. So it's really a matter of the promoters. Yeah. Like that's how that's how all these people wind up 
you know, getting uh, getting to the conventions. Their their names are submitted, and the promoters go, yes, 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 no, no, no. And uh, yeah, hopefully, I get out there. I've never. I think I was in Kansas City once, like through the going to the army. Like I think it was a uh, a stop point before I got to Kentucky. Mm. I think we stopped in Kansas City at the airport. So I think the airport's the closest. <laughs> that I've ever gotten to Kansas City, and I don't think uh, that's not really much. You don't get to see much from the window yeah. at the airport. And we got a lot of things, to, especially if you're a Disney fan, because we, you, I can Which show I you am. where Walt Disney's original studio is. Really, the Laughagram Studio is here in Kansas City that failed before he went to California. Ooh, oh yes. yeah, that's. <laughs> I'd have to, if honestly, if for that, I, I'd have to bring my wife to that because I'm. I, I really like Disney, but she's the the Disney the fanatic. Oh my! You know, we've got like, would just love my show then. Yeah, we're, she's, we're mainly Disney themed. <laughs> yeah, she's she's a huge Disney fanatic. We've got like Thomas Kincaid paintings of like you know the oh yes. like there's one looking at one we've got like she just got like a Lion King one so it's like just in time she's a she's just a big fan of every anything and everything Disney. Yeah, I've got uh, calendars of the Thomas Kincaid Disney works. This, oh, yeah. is, I, this is the second year that I've bought one of those calendars just because I, the, the pictures are so great. That's huge. Yeah, we had the calendar until we wound up going to a Thomas Kincaid. I, worst thing I could have ever done was bring her to a Thomas Kincaid <laughs> gallery. It's like I knew I, I knew we weren't walking out of there without with something. I knew we were. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen when we wound up with a Lion King theme. So I was like, all right, what are you going to do? I, it's kind of like she's kind of like a traitor. You know, it's like, oh, what do you mean Disney? This is a Disney thing. It's yeah. like you're married to Charlie Brown. Darn it. You're all into Disney. But it's it's kind of neat for her. You know, she's right. got a tons of like books and, and she was a big fan of Charlie Brown growing up. So I was just teaser that, you know, she was a huge Snoopy fan. So I'm like, well, now it's your dog. So now yep. she now now she's the, the co-owner of Snoopy. <laughs> see and with all the stuffed characters that i have still in my room because i'm 41 and i still buy a little stuffed characters, but they have to be characters i've got mickey mouse sitting next to kermit sitting next to snoopy right on the there mirror you go. in our room so <laughs> three of my favorites I'm a, i like kermit i'm oh, a yes. big I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a kermit fan beaker and kermit yes or my, my wife is a big beaker person beaker and yeah. uh yeah I'm a, I'm a huge muppet fan oh yeah never never got too deep into like the Mickey Minnie thing. I don't know why. It was, I was more of Pluto and, and goofy and still Disney. Yeah. Just, I never really saw like for myself, everyone has a favorite character. I think it was just the dogs. I think it was my, my curiosity of why Pluto walked on all fours, but goofy didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's just why, you know, like what's going on here? Like, is there like just levels of dog? Like yeah. planet, the planet of the apes. He like he he awoke and said no, and he <laughs> walked upright and just rebelled against his his mouse captor. <laughs> a demented thought, I know. But I just always wonder. He's like walking. A dog yeah. is walking the dog. Just yep. The demented mind of Walt Disney. Oh, gotta yeah. love it. But we gotta love it. Yep. Gotta love it. All right, but if somebody wants to track you down, what's some of the best ways to find you? Because I found you got a website, bradkeston.com. That's pretty easy. At Brad Keston on Twitter. That's the Twitter thing. You know, I was trying the, my hand at Twitter, and I don't get it. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I, I'm, I'm on Twitter, but the best place to find me 
besides the website would be on Facebook where it's Brad Keston and then VO, like voiceover. There you go. And then, uh, yeah, I think if you just Google just my name, Brad Keston, I think that the, the Facebook thing with the VO would come on and it's got a list of events and, and places I'm going to be and pictures of the convents, uh, the conventions that I've been to in the past. And, you know, uh, once I start making it out there, uh, this year, I'm going to just upload everything to that. And, uh, right. yeah, that's that's the best way. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show with us this week. This was fun. My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. 
Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 